Well, you had a little time to look at my title there. The second row, the young people in the second row were applauding my title. Kind of excited about that, aren't you? Sort of exciting, isn't it? Now, it's either a typo or Pastor Steve's trying to be clever. And it is the latter, uh, trying to be clever here. Uh, because uh, I have terrible spelled this way, uh, because we are doing what has traditionally been called the parable of the wheat and the tares. Um, modern translations translate it the, the wheat and the weeds. But uh, these were terrible times that Jesus shared this parable in the midst of. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible tells us, and we know from history, that uh, the, 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 the first century in Israel was Roman occupation, okay? So there's a foreign invader. They're sort of running the show. The taxes were exorbitantly high. The tax collectors were all cheats and scoundrels and were, you know, uh, basically stealing from the people. The politicians were just as bad. And uh, they didn't rise to power because of their perfect Sunday school attendance. They were not good people. They were corrupt. And the whole society of the day was feeling this tension of being in terrible times. In fact, shortly after Jesus' life, uh, Israel would be sacked, Jerusalem would be, would be sacked, the temple would be destroyed there in Jerusalem. So these were really, really perilous, terrible times that, uh, that were occurring. And into this terrible time came this young rabbi who started walking around and saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. And this young rabbi kept talking about how different the kingdom of God was from the kingdom of man that everybody was living in. And would oftentimes teach about that kingdom of, of God using very unique stories that are called parables, okay? Parables. And... Uh, these parables were very troubling to like the Pharisees uh, and puzzling even to his followers. And so one day the, the disciples said, why do you teach in parables? Okay, why do you do this? Why do you teach in a parable? And Jesus will give them an answer. We'll get to it in a moment. But a parable is, the, the Greek word for parable actually helps us understand what it's about. Because the word, it's literally, it's a mashup of two Greek words Para means alongside, and balo means to cast, okay? So to cast alongside. A parable is a story that casts alongside that story uh, a spiritual meaning, an encrypted meaning that some people could get and some people couldn't. Now here is Jesus' own description of why he teaches with, taught with parables, and we're in Matthew 13, uh, this, this section is just uh, introductory, but we're going to be in Matthew 13 if you want to turn there. Uh, here's what Jesus said. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and, to, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This was a way for Jesus to talk about spiritual truths 
in a way that those that God gave understanding to could get it, and those that uh, God did not give that understanding to would just hear the story and be like, what's he talking about? What do you mean pearls of great price and prodigal sons and uh, you know, stories like this? All they heard was the story. They couldn't hear the deeper spiritual meaning. They couldn't understand. God didn't give them that understanding. Others, like the disciples, could understand, but even they would be puzzled and would have to work to understand what this was all about. So don't think that, hey, if I'm a Christian, I'll just, bam, get it right away. No, these require consideration, and that's part of my role today is to kind of walk you through what this parable means. Now remember this, if you would, with this parable and any other parable. Generally, a parable has one primary meaning. Some people take all these little details and these parables and they try to want to assign spiritual truths to all these details and they come up with all of these wacky interpretations. Don't do that. Generally speaking, there is one primary meaning that the parable has. Now today we are blessed because today's parable is one of the parables, one of the few parables that Jesus actually gives the interpretation of, okay? Now, the, again, the modern translations go with the parable of the wheat and the weeds here, and they translate, translate it this way for reasons that I really don't want to get into the weeds on. Did you get, I mean, come on now, folks, this is, here's, the, I've done that three times now, and all three, it's been at best a groan. Uh, and I've promised to each service, it's going to get better from here. And I had a guy after this last service said, it did get better. So there's an encouragement for you. <laughs> okay, before we get into the parable, though, it's kind of like going to like a high school musical where you have, you get a little piece of paper and it has the cast there. Let's go over the cast of this parable uh, so that it helps us as we read it to know who we're, who we're dealing with. So here's the cast. Okay, so you have in, the, in this parable, there is the owner of the field. There is good seed, there is the enemy, then there's bad seed, and then you have the owner's servants. Okay, so these are the characters in the story. Hopefully that'll help you a little bit, maybe as we read it now, to understand what it means. So we pick it up now, Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did, did you sow not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have these weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So his servants said to him, then, then, then do you want us to go and to gather them? But he said, no, lest in the gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. There's the parable. Did you have ears to hear? Like you're all sitting there going, totally get it, right? <laughs> totally get it. Or are you kind of like, I'm a little confused. Like what is that 
all about. Well, let's go back over the story here. And part of our challenge today is that we're not, we're not as agricultural as the people that heard Jesus. This was like a description of everyday life for them, a little less for us in our day. But there's a man, he owns a field, and he goes out into his field, and he did in the field what everybody did in their field in that day, and that is that they planted, he planted a crop. Okay, so don't think John Deere planter, you know, tractors and combines and all of that. This is very, very simple stuff back in this day. They would go out and they would sow the seed. Now, they might dig a little row like you do in your garden, put down the seeds, and later, you know, turn the dirt over it so it can grow. Very, very simple stuff. So the owner goes out, he plants the seeds in the field, he goes back to his house. Nighttime comes. During the night, an enemy shows up and plants all over in the field a different seed, bad seed, okay, bad seed. A plant, a weed, that is, we know, is called, it's to this day called this, it's called darnel. Now you have to know what this plant is all about in order to understand the parable, because this would have been well known in the first century. Darnell is a weed that looks very much like wheat. Now to show you, here I have a picture of, of uh, wheat next to Darnell. Okay? Who can tell me which is which? If you're all guessing right now. I, I said in second service I wasn't exactly sure, and I had somebody inform me after the service which was the wheat, and they said that this was the wheat here on the left, okay? Whatever. Here's the point. They, they look a lot alike, okay? They look a lot alike, don't they? Can you imagine a whole field filled with all these, uh, these, these grasses? You could look at it from the side and go, oh, look, it's a field of wheat, but you'd have to get in there and actually begin looking at the heads to say, wait a second, these are actually two different kinds of grass here. And indeed they are. One is wheat and one is this weed called Darnell. Now you say, why is that such a big deal? I have weeds in my garden, I eat the food anyway. Here's why it was such a big deal. Darnell was poisonous. Okay, Darnell was poisonous. And this was actually common enough, a common enough devious thing that somebody would do, that there was actually a Roman law forbidding the sowing of Darnell bad seed into a field, because effectively it, it could wipe out the entire harvest. Kind of like in our day today, you know, they, they have these chicken farms or these turkey farms where they discover E. coli. And what's the solution? Oftentimes, they'll like have to kill a million chickens or something in order to try to take care of this contamination. This was a way of contaminating an entire field, and if you didn't take care of it and people ate it, it was actually dangerous for them. So the owner plants the wheat, the enemy comes, plants the bad seed in the field, nobody realizes that this Darnell seed is in the field, time passes, the grass is growing, the owner, the servants of the, of the owner one day get looking at it and they're like, wait a second, we, this isn't all wheat. Some of this is this poisonous weed. And so they go to the owner and they say, you've got, you've got Darnell all over in this field. Do you want us to go in and hack it out, pull it out? And the owner says, no, 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 don't do that. Because I don't want to lose the wheat too. Okay? Let's wait. Now, here's what waiting did. Darnell, over time, turns a darker color. 
And as it matures, you can tell the difference fairly easily between the darnel and the wheat. And so the owner says, let's give it time. Let's wait. And when we finally do the harvest, we'll cut all of them down. We'll separate the weeds from the wheat. The weeds we will bundle together. We'll burn all of that stuff. And the wheat we'll gather into our barn and we'll have ourselves a fine harvest. And that's the parable. Be warmed and filled. It's still a little puzzling, isn't it? Even knowing some of the details, it's like, okay, Jesus, like, uh, what are you talking about? And that is exactly what is on the mind of the disciples. Because it's, it's, I'm going to read it here in a second. That Jesus gets done telling these parables, and he goes back into the house. And the disciples follow him, and they've heard all these parables. Matthew 13 has several of them. And they're not thinking about the pearl of great price. They're not thinking about the sower and the seeds. They're wondering about this parable of the wheat and the weeds. What's that all about? Okay, so we pick it up now in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom the weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels so jesus now assigns a character to every cast member now what were they again just to go over them real quick so you understand who we're talking about who's the actual owner of the field jesus is the owner of the field And what is the field? It's the world. Some people try to translate this and apply it to the church. He doesn't say the church. He says the world. He's describing the world in general. Now, the church is part of that. This is true for the church, but it's the world in general. Who are the good seed? The good seed are are the sons of the kingdom. Who's the bad seed? The sons of the evil one. Who's the enemy in this? The devil is the enemy. There is a harvest wind at the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. Okay, now let's pick it up. What does all this mean? Look at verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and will gather out of his kingdom all the causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Ah, now that's helpful, isn't it? What is this actually all about? What Jesus is doing here in this parable is he is essentially telling the redemption story. He's telling the story of all of history. How so? Well, Who is the owner of the field? God or Jesus is the owner of the field. This is creation. God creates this field and he plants in this field only things that are good and wholesome and right. He looks at the field there in in Genesis 1 and he says, it is very good. But then what happens? An enemy shows up. Who's the enemy? Satan is the enemy. And he shows up and he tempts Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, and introduces into the creation now bad seed or sin and evil and corruption and death is inserted into this field. And what was supposed to be a field of good 
healthy plants and seed now is a field of sin and sinners. This world is filled with Darnell, if you want to look at it that way. It's filled with weeds. And God now is patiently waiting until a future harvest or a future judgment where he will separate all of humanity into two different groups. On the one side will be the weeds, and on the other side will be the wheat. The one side are the sons of the evil one, on the other side are the sons of God, the citizens of the kingdom of God. And God is patiently waiting for that day to come. And those that are wicked, those that are evil, he is going to cast into eternal punishment and damnation eternal fire, they will be burned. But those that are under the grace of God, those that are righteous, will be brought into the barn, will be brought into the dwelling of God and will experience eternal life. So you hear it, don't you, in the parable? Creation, fall, redemption, final consummation. It's the basic story of everything. All that has happened all that is going to happen in the future. But what is Jesus teaching specifically? And if we really want to drill down in this parable, uh, in this parable there are a f- uh, several things that Jesus is teaching, a few of which I'd like to uh, uh, focus on today. Here's the first. The exclusive nature of the gospel. The exclusive nature of the gospel there are a few other parables that do this. He, he, he gives a parable of good fish and bad fish. He tells a parable about sheep and goats. And here we have wheat and weeds. Where essentially what Jesus is saying is that all of humanity is divided into two groups. There are those that are the wheat and there are those that are the weeds. And with that division, there are two destinies that are true for all of humanity. There are those that are brought into the barn, there are those that have eternal life, and there are those that are punished for their sins forever. And this is the exclusive nature of the gospel. And what Jesus is saying here is you are either one or the other. You are either a sheep or a goat. You are either a wheat or a weed. There is no in-between There's no sort of like, well, I'm kind of doing my own thing. I've had people say that to me. I've come up with my own religion, literally, I've had that said to me. And this is kind of like my religion. And we live in a day, of course, where for anybody to say that your religion, your belief is not right or that mine is somehow better is to break the unpardonable sin, right? And that is not acceptable. Why? Because as long in our culture, as long as you are sincere and believe it to be true, then and, and it works for you, then that is fine. What works for you works for you. What works for me works for me. We're all kind of finding our own way to God. And Jesus like blows that up with this parable and others when he says, no, 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 wait a second. There are not weeds and wheat, and lots of other plants in the field. You are either a weed or you are a wheat. There is no in-between. There's no alternate option. You are one or the other. That all the world is either one or the other. That in the church, and indeed in this meeting right now, in this room, there is one and there is the other. And that's it. 
There's only two choices. Wheat or weed, period. Here's Jesus elsewhere. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. That the nature of Jesus' life and ministry will be so divisive it will divide right down into even families themselves. They will be on one side or they will be on the other side. Here's one of Jesus' most radical statements. He says this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, I'm safe saying that here in this room. Maybe in your heart some of you are like, amen to that. But in our culture and in our day today, if I, if I say that outside these walls, if I go to Purdue Cal or IUN, if I get on a radio station of some kind and make a statement of radical, exclusive truth, that is not acceptable in the society that we live in today. And yet this is what Jesus said. This is true. He is himself the truth. There is one way. There is one way to go from being a wheat, a, a weed, to being a wheat. There is one way for you to go from being a son of the evil one to being a son of God. And that one way is through faith in Jesus, in his work on the cross, dying for your sins, where you are trusting and believing in him alone for your salvation. That's it. There's no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved in the name of Jesus. And that is a dividing, like exclusive, one or the other claim that Christianity and our Savior Jesus makes. That all humanity divided in this way, and it's, it's, it, this is where the parable is helpful because it's so easy for us to sort of like look around our neighborhoods, look around our schools, look around the workplace, or maybe you go to like a stadium event or you go to the airport or some other place where there's just tons of people and it's easy to just kind of look out and sort of think to yourself hey we're all kind of the same we all wear clothing with buttons and zippers and we wear shoes and we drive cars and we eat at the same restaurants and you know we're, our kids are in the same schools and we're doing all sort of the same things and to sort of think that we're all the same we're not and right now it appears that we are like a field of wheat and tares, where they all kind of look the same, and it's hard to tell the difference between the two. Someday, this will be all different. Someday, this division will be eternally clear. And so I wonder which side you're on today. Are you a wheat or are you a weed? Which one are you? The second thing that we see here, and this is so sobering, is Jesus' description of the patience of God and the eternal damnation of the wicked. Look again at verse 41. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. Whenever we talk about the eternal judgment of uh, the ungodly, we have to talk about it in very sober terms. I'm not a fan of jokes about hell. There's nothing there to laugh about, right? Very sober terms. And Jesus does that here. And to realize that right now, as we, as we sit here right now, there are, there's like 7 billion people on planet Earth. And again, they look like us. They talk like us. Everything seems to be the same as us, generally speaking. And yet their eternal destiny is what Jesus is describing here. To think that billions of people that have already lived on planet Earth right now are experiencing the kind of judgment that Jesus describes here is a very sobering reality. Well, what judgment are we talking about? Well, notice the parable. He says that this will happen at the end of the age. What is going to happen? There's going to be a kind of weeding, okay? A kind of weeding, like in your garden. You got certain, you know, you got the plants that you want, and then you got those plants that you don't want. What do you do with the plants that you don't want? You pull them out. You pull them out. Who is going to be weeded out? Everything and everyone that causes sin and does evil. And where will they go? Jesus says that they will go to the fiery furnace, which he describes as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Is he's saying, hey, disciples, we're in the time of waiting right now. We're in the time of letting the wheat and the weeds mature right now. Don't misinterpret the fact that this judgment hasn't happened to mean that it's not going to happen. There's a time of waiting. And remember here, the field is the kingdom of God. It is, it is the world. It is not the church. But this is certainly true in the church. That you have in every church, you have righteous and unrighteous, talking the same, living the same. Eternity will show the difference. Someday, everyone will be separated. The righteous are going to shine like the sun, Jesus says. And the wicked, and the language here could hardly be any more serious, they will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does it mean to gnash your teeth? The word here in the Greek, it's used seven times in the New Testament, only by Jesus. And it's describing here the human uh, response to extreme anguish. Okay? It literally means to snarl, okay? to snarl or to growl. Maybe you've had a moment of pain where you're like, like this, you know, if people talk about, give me a nail to bite in the old days when they did surgery, right? just to put your teeth on edge like that. Jesus says that is what the experience is like. And maybe you're here today and you've never heard about hell. You've never heard that there's an eternity, that every soul goes one place or the other. Well, today you're hearing the truth. Your soul is going to spend eternity somewhere, and there are only two options. And the one that Jesus is describing here is the option of judgment and punishment, an eternal conscious experience of the wrath of God. And without the grace of God and without saving faith in Jesus, this is where all human beings will go, judged 
for their sin, judged by a holy God. Pastor Charles Spurgeon describes the moment of death for the unbeliever. I'd like to read this to you. Here's what he says, listen. And now you feel that you are expiring. Your soul is filled with terror. Black horrors and thick darkness round you. Your eye strings break, your flesh and your heart fail. But there is no kind angel to whisper, peace be still. No convoy of cherubim to bear your soul away straight to yonder worlds of joy. You feel that the dart of death is a poison dart, that it has injected hell into your veins, that you have begun to feel the wrath of God before you enter upon that state where you shall feel it to the full. And again, looking at the field right now, right? That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Like, these are just human beings all around. They're nice people. Everything seems to be fine. They're like you and me. That kind of thing sounds crazy. But as Baxter said, do not misinterpret God's patience with the ungodly. And we have to view sin the way that God sees sin and to view the future as God tells us it will happen. And my hope is that perhaps... God would use even this brief description today to lead you to put your personal faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Savior, because he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No man comes to the Father but by him. But if you put your faith and trust in him, friend, God will forgive your sins. You move, here's the, here, step out of the proper interpretation of the parable a little bit here but here's the glory is that God is in the business of turning weeds into wheat and he will do that for you if you'll put your trust and faith in Christ as we've talked about in the series to pledge allegiance to Jesus for him to become king for you to join his kingdom and to walk in his righteousness and for your eternity not to be the gnashing but the glory of God and eternal life to all who believe and trust in him. Here's, I think, the main point and the big point that I'd like for you to uh, hear today. And it's this. In the end, the king wins. In the end, the king wins. You read the story... That's something to celebrate for sure. You know, you read through the, the story of redemption, the story of history, the, as, as the Bible describes it, and over and over again, you have Satan trying to thwart God's purposes and God's plans. We go all the way back to the beginning where Satan leads a rebellion against God and takes millions of angels with him. He's fighting against God. He wants to thwart God's plan and purpose. Or you go into the Garden of Eden there, and there's Adam and Eve, and they're perfect, and they're in a right relationship with God, made in the image of God. And what, what does Satan do? He is the enemy who comes and, and sows the, the bad seed in the field. He introduces evil and sin and death into God's field, thinking that he has thwarted God's plan. Maybe go to the, the desert temptation. Jesus has come to earth, incarnate Son of God, not eaten for 40 days, wandering in the wilderness there, Satan says, here's my moment. And he comes and he tempts Jesus three times. Why? Trying to thwart God's plan. We can go to the Garden of Gethsemane. No doubt Satan was there as Jesus just feels the turmoil 
of about to become made sin for us. Or how about the cross? If, you, if we could interview Satan right now, hey Satan, you know what? We want to ask you one question. What is the greatest moment of your whole life? He would say the greatest moment was when I killed God. Celebrating, rejoicing, Jesus is dead. How about in the church for 2,000 years? What has Satan been trying to do in the church? Ruin God's purpose and plan. And how does he do it? He introduces heresies, and he introduces sin, and he introduces divisiveness and discord and all the things that, the, that, that, that uh, history tells us has happened in the church. And even our own history here with little this, little that, things that happen. Why, why do these things happen? Because there is an enemy who is desperately trying to thwart God's good purposes for our church, for your life, and for your family. You are not living in a vacuum, friend. There is an enemy. And his name is Satan. And yet despite all of the efforts of evil men and tyrants and, and uh, heretics and demons and all the forces of evil that are arrayed against God and what he is doing in this world, this parable tells us the truth that God's will will be accomplished. And there is nothing that Satan can do to ultimately stop this ultimate victory that Jesus is going to have. The gates of hell will not prevail against the plan and the purposes of God, the church, the gospel. Now why is this comforting? Because right now, we look around and doesn't it seem like the Darnell are winning? I look around and it's like, there's more weeds than wheat around here. You look around in your, your place of work and you're like, there's just unrighteousness everywhere. There's evil everywhere. Everything's corrupt. Or we look in our nation right now and you're like, man, everybody's corrupt and everybody's cheating and lying and stealing. We look in the world and, you know, nations and wars and all the things, terrible genocides that are happening all over the place. We look at ISIS and the things that they're doing and you could just read the news. If you didn't read your Bible and you just read the news, you would think to yourself, we are on the losing side here. Because it seems like evil is always, always advancing and winning. And yet the parable tells us, uh, 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 you're only in the time of waiting. You're only in the time as God waits for his wheat to be fully grown and mature. There is coming a time, and, uh, and it may be soon, when this final judgment will happen. And there is a guarantee in this parable that God is going to win. And I just want to share this to you because what, what's your frustration today, really? You came in here, probably you're frustrated about this, frustrated about that. What is your discouragement today? I'm so discouraged about this, that, and the other. Maybe what is, let's take another level. What is your depression today? Like you are just almost uh, non-functional because you're so depressed about something that's going on or your health or whatever it might be. And here Jesus speaks a word to us through his eternal word of God, a word that we've got to hear. And that is, yes, these things are temporarily setbacks. And yes, at times it seems like the evil one and evil ones are all the time winning and all the time advancing. Fear not, believer, because despite all of this, the promise of God and the promise of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is going to win and it will overcome and in the end God will win and if you are a son of the kingdom, you win too. You win too. 
And that's something we got to remember, remind ourselves of. So easy to get discouraged in days like we're living in right now and to forget where this whole thing is going. Now, I have to confess to you that I prepared this sermon essentially two weeks ago. And I did that because I had family in town this whole week. And so to get ready for this Sunday, I had to get it done last week. And here's what I wrote in my notes last week. Imagine the Cubs make the World Series. So not only am I Pastor Steve, you can now call me Prophet Steve. <laughs> and, and this week as they got behind in the series, I'm like, oh no, that illustration is not going to work so well if they lose. But if you didn't hear, they won. And so now they are in the World Series and everybody's excited about it. So just, just imagine with me a moment that you're like the all-time Cubs fan, like never been a greater Cubs fan than you. Your dad and your mom, they were crazy Cubs fans. Your dad took you to games. You love Wrigley Field. It's like, you know, you got pictures. You fly the W and have in the good times and bad. Like, you just, you love the Cubs so much. And so uh, you also have a daughter. You love her too. It's like Cubs, daughter. <laughs> you love your daughter as well. And like, Nine months ago, her boyfriend came to you and said, hey, I'd like to ask for your daughter's hand in, in marriage. You said, I need to get back with you on that. And you look at the schedule, and you're kind of calculating, okay, like this, and you came back and said, okay, you can marry her. And they pick a date, and the date they pick is the seventh game date of the World Series. Now, you're not that concerned, really, because it's been like a hundred years, right? What are the chances that they would make the World Series, and what are the chances that it would go to seven games? For goodness sakes, we're probably okay. So the date gets closer, the Cubs make the playoffs, the Cubs win the uh, pennant, and lo and behold, the Cubs are in the World Series. Now you're really sweating it because... You're hoping that they win in six or less because if it's game seven, it's the day of your daughter's wedding and you're not sure exactly how you would handle that, okay? <laughs> sure enough, it goes to game seven and you are completely distressed because the game is wrapping up right around the time of the wedding and the reception. And you just are like, in, in your heart of hearts, you're kind of like... I, I almost would like to skip the wedding because I would want to watch the game. And, but your wife is, you know, telling you that you <laughs> can't do that and that you really need to go to your daughter's wedding. And so you say, I got a plan, okay? I got a plan. I'm going to set my DVR and I'm going to make it clear to everybody because I'm paying for the reception. For goodness sakes, you are not to tell me the outcome of the game, okay? So... The whole thing takes place. You walk a girl down the aisle. You get in the car. You're not checking your phone. You're not listening to the radio. You're like, you know, you got blinders on and you got something over your ear. You don't want anybody to say anything to you. You go to the reception. Everything's fine. Everybody knows. Don't tell them what happened. The best man gets up. A guy, by the way, that you didn't really like anyway. <laughs> and he says, before I share my thoughts about the groom, 
Isn't it great that the Cubs won 11 to 10? Woohoo! Everyone cheers, everyone's excited. You are devastated by this. You get through the dad or daughter dance, blah, blah, blah. You're like, I can't believe that guy ruined the moment that my grandfather, my father, and I have waited over 100 years for. You get in the car, you drive home, you think, what am I going to do? You think, well, I might as well watch the game at least, right? So you turn on the game. First inning, the Indians score two. The second inning, the Indians score another two. The fifth inning, they score three, okay? And in the eighth inning, they score another three. It comes into the ninth inning. It's a home game. comes into the ninth inning. They're down 10-zip. How do you feel? Are you worried? Are you fretting? Are you mad? The evil Indians seem to be winning. I say that you're not. And why are you not? Because you know the final score. I know that they win 11 to 10. And no matter how it appears along the way, since I know the outcome, I'm good. Okay, listen with me a second. Just listen. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. In the end, we win. We win, church. We win. All praise to the king. All praise to the king. Parable of the wheat and the weeds. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, for prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that by your grace and purely by your grace, you have chosen to bring us into this kingdom, that we are by your grace, your sons and your daughters, that by your grace, you have chosen to include us in this ultimate victory. And Lord, we struggle now with temporary defeats and setbacks. We feel discouraged about the course of world, national, and even personal events. And Father, I pray that this intended truth would have its intended effect. 
with your people, that we might be encouraged, that we might persevere, that we might look forward to the day when we will be brought into your barn, shining like amber waves of grain. Father, thank you. We love you. All praise and glory for this victory, not to us, but to your name be the glory. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.